think the psychological cost sometimes is huge. Mm. Especially if you have been like, employed in very, very good brands. Mm. I mean, just look at LinkedIn, right? There are still, there's this whole debate like, you know, why do you bother to put yourself as ex-Google, ex-UBS, <laughs> yes. ex-GIC? Why don't you thrive on your own? You're listening to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast, the show where personal finance is about the person, not just the numbers. Here on BFF, we talk about how to make money your best friend so that you can have the freedom to make the most out of life. We go through the honest discussions about money so that you don't need to make the same mistakes. We demystify jargon so that no one can smoke you with complicated acronyms. After all, money's greatest value is to give us control over our time, which is truly our greatest asset. I'm your host, Junus Yu. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast. So today we have on our show Benjamin and our topic today is about quitting your job without a backup plan. Welcome Benjamin. Hey Junus, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit more about what you do. Yeah, so professionally, I am a speaker and coach and specifically, I've been supporting two sort of audiences. One is financial advisors and, you know, they are from the likes of the you know the big insurance corporations and a huge part of it is really about helping them to grow their awareness online. Mm. So I'm a bit of like a branding, strategic growth coach to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I train them in terms of using social media well so that they are able to attract good clients and hence get good business. Uh, the second group of audience I work with are the corporate clients. I training communications mm. and a lot of times it's overcoming anxiety to even performance issues to be the best on stage nice yeah. and I know that like recently on 18 August you shared about mm. you know is there more personal post where you shared about quitting your job without a backup plan when you were 27 yeah and that resonated with me because just that morning I was also listening <sighs> to you know another somebody else who um, reportedly left his 2.3 million a year mm-hmm. Wall Street job <clears throat> without anything lined up yeah yeah and to add further context, like he actually had 18 months of savings mm. and decided to quit after his wife had a baby. Mm. So what were your financial considerations when you quit mm. at 27? Like yeah. What was your situation like? So it's an interesting question you asked. I mean, like, you know, I, I wrote about it as a backup plan. But I think in retrospect, it wasn't really like a, a sort of super risky decision. Mm. I think to take a step forward, I mean, take a step back first before I go into the, the, the specifics. Mm. I think a lot of us... Um, we we have an underappreciated notion of risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we think that you know, like quitting a job equals super risky. But I think the 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 cons and the downside is you need to ask yourself in your current life and as well as career stage, in you not taking a risk, is that risky or not? Yes. Yeah. So that got me thinking. You see, and and in your twenties, uh, try to take risks, try to do many different things because it's 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 not so easy for you to land on something that you love. And mm. obviously, there are some of us who you know can do the same work without loving it kudos to you but there's some of us who may want to find work that's fulfilling mm-hmm. that stretches our competencies mm-hmm. so in the 20s experiment find something that you love 30s double down on what you may specialize in mm. 40s make the money you need to mm. and then 50s try not to work so much mm. so back to your question I think for me I've adopted both offensive as well as defensive strategies so I think like what you read uh, although I didn't have such a huge paycheck like uh, like this person um, but I did make sure that I have at least a 12 months runway yep. so that was like expenses and, and making sure that at that time as well I was about to marry my fiance mm. and, and the running joke was that no hey she both of us like met in accounting school mm. so I was saying like if like let's say my business starts through thanks you know we'll eat taipung every day <laughs> and, and she'll still be able to pay the bills but you yep. know if you know, my work still takes off you know there's at least 
least a bit of upside. Mm. So that 12 months of like uh, expenses really was like a bit of like a emotional as well as a mental um, um, blanket, a safety net, so to speak. So mm. that allows you to go slow when you have to so that you can go fast. Mm. But the offensive part, which is really something I emphasize is I think we don't appreciate youth enough, mm. right? I think by virtue of being young, you have a lot of like um, premium to taking risks. And because it's when you're in your 20s and early 30s, your liabilities at all time low. I mean, barring, of course, like um, education loans, payback. Yes, yes. This kind of stuff you need to pay back like mm. to your parents. But generally speaking, you know, for, for us in Singapore, you wouldn't sort of like be in dire straits. Yes. And I think, you know, by virtue of that, if you neglect or you you, you sort of like sinang a bit, relax a bit in your 20s and 30s, then what's going to happen in your 30s and 40s and 50s? Mm. So it's a bit like, you know, either you suffer earlier or suffer, suffer later. So, so that was my strategy. Delve, I mean, I want to delve a little bit about that because you said like senang in your 20s. Yeah. Then somebody could say like senang as like mm. YOLO. Mm. Let me go and mm. experience mm. a world like senang or like let me just be a couch potato at home. So I think again, it, it all boils down to a few things, right? Like what, what you want in your life and do you foresee that, you know, this could be your permanent mode and condition of life. Mm. And I think like Traveling the world is not really senang senang for me, like because mm. I think traveling ex- exposes you to new people, new elements, new conditions. Mm. But if you're going to be a couch potato, it's a bit like this Chinese term that is trending right now, or for some time called tang ping. Yes. Yeah, mm. and tang ping is really like literally life flat, and you give mm. up on life and say, you know, I don't give a damn to this whole corporate BS kind of thing. I'm just going to cruise and and just float. But the thing is, how if you start cruising and floating at twenty plus, mm-hmm. you don't have much of a leverage, right? And, yes. And you don't have much of a, a, a sort of you you don't have high sort of irreplaceable power mm. and what I mean by that is you're not in a position enough or high enough such that you know if people don't like you people don't think that you know you're productive you know they they, they will keep you so if if you want to also like cruise you need to go to a certain position and certain level then you can cruise mm. yeah so if you choose to climb the corporate ladder you like a certain industry at least you still have to work a few years for it mm-hmm. then you can cruise got it yeah so that's really my general thinking so to speak mm, understand and just going back to like the having like 12 months yeah. saved up yeah and I guess you know it's a good thing that you and your fiance back then Correct. not wife would are both like accountancy trained, right? So it's very you have you're very like savvy numbers are comfortable mm, mm, numbers with mm, budgeting. How do you all you know plan things out as a couple? To be honest, I think while I say that we're both accounting, uh, actually we're not like the most conversant of numbers, and I think our employers shouldn't hear this. Uh, <laughs> we, we we really just like sort of you know aga and gut feel our way through. Mm. So I started out my my work as well as uh, my, my business as a service-based business. So I think for me, at least, I wasn't like a very frivolous, you know, mm. some of the startup folks, entrepreneurs, you know, they believe in like, for example, big digital presence, mm. advertising, nice office space in CBD. I had none of that. So I was really a bit more uh, conservative mm-hmm. at some level. Uh, but as a collective, it's really for us to project, like, for example, if we want to get married, how much like the, the wedding expenses cost, renovation, BT, very very standard stuff mm. and then we project back to say hey uh, if you're going to start saving money or accumulating cash mm. from maybe like three two years before how does that look like it. so it's actually not that sort of like a you don't need an accountant to do that mm, I think you, you just need to know like aga aga what's your big ticket items mm. and then you just work backwards um, but the thing is you you should really find a, a partner where he or she supports you and your dreams you see like and and again there's there's a reward for every risk that you need to take mm. so your partner needs to be educated and on the same pitch as to what's the reward that you're going after yes. it's not just like for example I want to be an influencer mm-hmm. which is like the trending kind of like side hustle mm. but you know, if you want to be influencer 
influencer, yes, we can see the upside. And what's the game to get to the upside? Mm. Do you, are you going to just like create content all the while and then hope that someone will take notice? Mm. I think there should also be an educated way to take risks as well. Yeah, you're right. Mm. Because sometimes for like influencers, I mean, mm. when they're starting out, mm. they could actually fork out a lot of their own expenses, yeah. right? So, yeah. so sort of like look the part. Especially me, like female influencers, mm. just makeup, dress, yeah, yeah. bags. If you feel so like much, right? Rich lifestyle. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It actually costs a lot. I yeah. mean, like interestingly, I think in the US, they they actually had airplanes as a service. Like, you, like you had a plane that was on the ground, and yeah. they kind of rent out that space to yeah. influencers to sit there and pretend yeah. and take pictures, and so that they can post it on their Instagram and show that hey, oh, you know, I'm flying off the somewhere. The OOTDs, yeah. When actually they are not flying anywhere, mm-hmm. they're kind of like on the ground, just in the plane, yeah, taking yeah, yeah. a thing. I mean, with all due respect to influencers, not everyone's going to to take off as well. But the reality is that a lot of us, you know, um, not accounting for this kind of latent hidden expenses. Mm. So I think we we sometimes again in going for the dream, you know, you also make sure they have a realis- realistic plan. Mm-hmm. So like maybe after like for me, I, I I was also very practical. Like after twelve months, if I don't make at least income replaceable or matching to my previous earn, uh, income, mm. what would I do? Yeah. And at that time, maybe it was really a reality check. Maybe I didn't get enough like attraction, gravity in the market space. Maybe because my training, coaching doesn't really meet the mark. Maybe because you know I'm not valuable enough. Mm. And then my plan B was really going back to corporate job doing sales as well. Mm. Mm. So I love that. So you gave yourself like a very clear goal. 12 yeah. months, you needed to match the income Correct. that you left yeah. the corporate and, and world my, with. And my rule was that I needed to match consistently for three months mm. and if I break the streak I continue that three months mm. yeah to make sure so I don't like give give leeway to myself and how do you do that uh, do that as in making sure that I get income or? yeah so like in the when when you left in the first mm. 12 months yeah do you yeah. actually hit your goal yeah I did so so I was really thankful as well like my first two bosses were Americans mm. so they're very very liberal as well so they told me like Ben you can do whatever you want to do on the site so long it's not conflicting and you hit your, your day job your sales goals mm. so I was a bit like side hustling and, and building up my brand as a speaker and coach and I was like you know taking leave and my bosses were giving me the blessings because non-conflict mm. and while I was like um again building the kind of clientele offering the kind of work I also made sure that, you know, I, I I didn't sort of like burn my bridges on my day job as well. So mm. I think being amicable, not being an a-hole, mm-hmm. not sort of like, you know, just, just because you want to pursue your dream and then, you know, you do it at all costs. I think there's always a nice, reasonable middle ground. Mm. Okay. So I also want to talk about the psychological components, you know, sort of also maybe touching on the BlackRock's executive's decision, right? The yep. guy who was yep. earning, I guess, 2.3 million. I guess not all mm. of us can relate to that. Yep. But he was saying that uh, leaving BlackRock was a fraud decision. You know, it didn't help that almost every day he would get a text from a friend or a former colleague casually asking, why are you mm. doing these days? Mm. And he says, I quote, the lack of a professional identity was crippling. It almost drove me back into the workforce. And I think, I, you know, often times when people think about, you know, there, there's a lot of times when I spend in especially CBD area, wherever there's a lot of office workers, right? Mm. Lunchtime hours, the time when people are talking about, you know, their grievances yeah. with their job. They're like, oh, you know, I'm going to quit, but then I don't have to mm. da 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 and, and yes, there are the practical aspects to it, which is like, you know, you have like maybe 12 to 18 months of um, expenses saved up. You, mean you might have a road plan, you know, like a road plan as to what you want to work towards. Mm. But the psychological aspects of yeah. it. I think the psychological cost sometimes is huge, mm. especially when and especially if you have been like, employed in very, very good brands. Mm. I mean, just look at LinkedIn, right? There are still, there's this whole debate like, you know, why do you bother to put yourself as ex-Google? <laughs> X, X-U-B-S, yes. X-G-I-C. I mean, the fact that you already left this 
companies really you don't need to like show off that it still acts right mm-hmm. I mean I can understand the functional context of that like it's a bit more branding sake yes. um, but the reverse is also like why don't you thrive on your own mm. why don't you stand in who Junus is Ben is mm. Michael is mm. uh, why would you define yourself by a, a, a sort of a very artificial identity or contract mm-hmm. yeah so that the flip side is something to consider as well. And I think sometimes when people go into not just entrepreneurship in general, but you know, just meandering off a, a sidewalk or, or a different path, mm. they forgot the, the power or as well as the burden of identity. Mm. How do you deal with that? Yeah, I, I think for me, at least I can't claim for everyone. For me, mm. I tend to be very, very zen-like. Mm. I am a very, very minimalist person. So even though, like for example, my my, my work, my income has risen a couple of multiples since how I started, yes. um, I, I still don't subscribe to, you know, like for example, lifestyle inflation. If anything, mm. no, I, I like to still have my indulgence. Like I take my family, my two and a half year old toddler for nice experiences, staycations. But I'm not into brands, right? Mm. So... Strangely, as a guy, like, I can't say for, again, all the men, I'm not into cars. Mm. I'm not into watches. I'm not into the bikes. So I don't try to sort of like create a lifestyle where I'm very, very overly attached. Right. So I think one, one thing is the, the, the psychological cost can be reduced when you start to examine what are you deeply attached to. Are you attached to, like, for example, a certain status? And there's nothing wrong. It's just to be sure and to be clear. Mm. So if status is big for you, know that, know that, you know, when you're going to meander off into another path, it's going to bite you somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Are you sort of attached to maybe um, the perks and privilege and position and, and that comes with position? Yes. So when you go down that path, in the lack of, how are you going to deal with that? Are you sort of addicted or very used to, or you like the kind of attention that, wow, you know, you're a SVP mm. and then people look up to you. You have many, many pairs of eyes. Whether out of choice, I do not know, like, looking yep. up to you. And, and, and if in the absence of that, you have to work from ground up again, mm. how are you going to deal with that? So for me, the psychological cost, I you know conceptually is very high, but to me, it's very, very low because, mm. you know, I started out from nothing as well. So um, the, the, the whole kind of like uh, my context is that I work with um, 95% MNCs but I haven't worked a single day in the MNC. Mm. So I never really had the baggage or the prestige or the premium as to, you know, donning a nice suit mm. and CBD, mm. you know, rubbing shoulders with all the atas and, and smart people. Mm. You know, I'm a bit like, you know, for me, I'm a very practical guy. If I can go in, do the work I do, mm-hmm. and then get remunerated nicely, mm. that's that's all I care for. Yeah, and you're in a way, because you you kind of um, decided at 27, so you, do, you weren't kind of leaving behind like decades of, mm. car- of like scaling the career ladder and like the glitz and glamour of business trips and like, you know flying around business yeah. class and and having to maintain a social certain social mm. network in mm. various professional circles yeah 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 so i think that makes it easier correct that makes mm. it a whole lot easier but i also want to so contrast and compare in each and every life stage call it a decade or something like 20s mm. 30s and 40s definitely a lot of opportunity as well as downside risk as well so the downside risk for me at the 20s is really your untested you're mm. unproven, you're untried, you have nothing, right? Mm. So for me, I had to a lot of positive mindset, positive talk to say, hey, you know, precisely I have nothing, then I can create something. Mm. But for someone in the 40s, you know, you actually have a lot of things that may be going on well for you. Like yes. you have great networks, reputation. There's a lot of transferable skill sets and knowledge. The key thing here is, you know, we, we all move at very non-linear paces yes. and non-linear fashions as well. So while I'm espousing that, hey, you should take risk at your 20, but risk comes in a different way. So it could be someone at their 
40s, you know, who, who want to start something on their own. Mm-hmm. And a lot of entrepreneurship literature also says that people who start their first business in the 40s and 50s actually have a higher success rate. Yes. And, you know, all the youngsters, you know, who drop out of uni and stuff like that. Yeah, so I, I, I think, again, survivorship bias, you know, a whole big topic. Mm. Uh, don't just look at the glitzy, the, the, the success examples, but examine your own path. And, and know that, you know, whichever journey and window that you want to do something, mm-hmm. uh, just just be comprehensive to know, you know, what, where are you walking towards and in the path en route to that goal and journey, uh, what does it involve? Like, um, what what's the price that you're willing to pay? Yes, I mean, I love that you take a balanced view towards that, right? And, and just acknowledging that everybody's mm-hmm. path is quite different. I, I You know, that, that part where you talked about the, the LinkedIn thing where people's like X this and X that and then I was reminded of an interview that was done with Piyush Gupta who's the CEO of DBS where you know in his time before DBS I believe he was actually um, you know, launching a startup mm-hmm. and a lot of the time when he was pitching he actually shared that you know he said I'm X this and I'm X that and and when, in hindsight he actually felt that it didn't help him all that much mm. so you know what you said was actually interesting because you mm. know when we talk about you know where were we wh- which companies were we working at before mm. like why are we actually saying that mm. that I think has also become a very trendy thing right people always say that I'm X Google yeah. X Grab I mean my, my friend actually runs like the Zoogler community which is like a huge community yeah. now right and and they're all like yeah X Googlers yeah, I mean yeah. definitely it's a testament to definitely these people are intelligent you know they have Correct. worked with um, you know in a, they worked in a large company that moves very fast they can actually ship products out fast you mm. know there's certain merits to you know you know having been in that company yep. and, and those and those merits could be applied to the next mm. position they work in that's for sure Yeah, but yeah. you know be, be like actually questioning like why do we say X this and X that especially in the title part I'm not even sure how new this trend is but then mm. people sort of like put it right in your mm, face mm. I think the application on LinkedIn may be a couple years new but mm. the whole whole effect here is the signaling fact right like mm. the fact that if you, you did an MBA in Harvard you're mm. going to say I'm a Harvard MBA graduate and automatically people put a certain premium to, mm. to, to your attainments as well so I think my point here is it's not that you shouldn't use it or you cannot use this but if you're relying on that alone and as an only sole door opener Mm-hmm. and what you hope for it to keep the door open continually. I think that's really, really risky because I think um, I've had sort of like um, people who would reach out to me, especially in the coaching and speaking space. Mm-hmm. Other other spaces, I have no experience of success, so I can't speak for that. But I, I, I've met, like, for example, people in the 40s and 50s and they say, hey, you know, I've, I've worked in big companies all this while. Yep. I've like uh, done sort of um, training, people empowerment work. But when they go out there to sort of set up their own brand, they mm. realise it's a whole different ballgame that, you know, they probably have to roll up their sleeves, they have to sort of print name cards, mm. and then you realise your name card don't have a big logo, uh, not atas mm. enough. Then you need to rely on your name, like for example, Michael Lee, Jeremy Tan. Okay, to all mm. Michaels and Jeremy against you. <laughs> to all Michael Lees and Jeremy Tan. Yeah, you see, it's, it's like, again, you, you need to re- really create that personal brand versus mm. the corporation brand. Yes, a bit of flow over, but... Um, uh, at the end of the day, people ask, you know, what, what do the Jeremy's and, and Michael's and Ben's put onto the table? Mm. So you then have to do a lot of tabletop selling. You need to communicate your value in such a way it's highly relevant yep. to the people in the organization that they like to focus on. Mm. You need to talk about what kind of approaches you take, so on and so forth. So you really need to look at yourself as a company of you. Got it. And and a lot of times, I think, again, when we get so thrown up with like, you know, the news of uh, how another person went to sell chocolates and then succeed, how another lawyer quits the, the, the punishing lawyer job to take care of dogs and cats and mm. succeed, mm-hmm. you know, we, we get so washed up. 
and and we don't have a complete plan. I think that's dangerous. Mm. So talking about planning and and you know in terms of the lifestyle change, we you know when you quit your job, you know there will be a difference. You know in terms of like structure, mm-hmm. in terms of decision making, right? Yeah. I mean from a structure perspective, you are not kind of like going to the office. You know you don't have mm-hmm. resources that you can tap on. You know you don't have like a marketing department that you can tap on or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And and also you know from a decision making perspective that shifts as well, right? Mm-hmm. Because now you're sort of you basically decide what you want to do, what mm-hmm. how you plan your day, mm-hmm. what what which sales targets you're going after. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that change? Yeah, so I think my context is also very similar for anyone who's like starting out as a self-employed. Mm. So for example, you start out as a craftsman. Mm. You may be very good as a designer and people say, hey, you know, Junus, you know, you, you design very great uh, collaterals, you know, can you help me? Or you could be like, for example, a good videographer, creatives mm. typically, right? You mm. start out as a one-man, one-women show. Mm. And, and and that's the biggest kind of challenge that a lot of us um, don't overcome or over sort of like step through because, you know, we go into passion of the craft. But if you do not... Uh, think beyond as well as around that craft, then you'll be stuck with doing that craft all day long. Mm. So effectively, you'll be trading one job for the other job. And mm. on the good side is that, you know, you're going to get very, very busy. But on the downside is that there's a lot of other sort of ancillary functions that you need to take care of. You need to juggle. Mm. You are like, you know, the, the CEO, the, which is the chief everything officer. Yeah. So like, for example, for me at the start, Although I studied accounting, I'm mm. very, very not meticulous. Mm-mm. And I always joke that if I ever become an accountant, I'll be a liability to my clients. <laughs> uh, during uni times, people on left and right, they'll be doing our cash flow statements. Yes. You know, they're all the smart ones. They always can balance and tie their cash flow. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like missing like $1, 5 cents, 20 cents. I was thinking like, we all got the same grades, got into accounting school. I'm not meticulous, but I'm a good sort of, like, again, communicator. I can move fast, etc., etc. Mm. But in the start, you just have to suck it up. You need mm. to do it. And 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 insofar as you know you don't make jarring mistakes, you know, people will with that grace as well as the understanding for the value you do, go through that. Mm. So I think to answer your question squarely, you know, the kind of structure, the kind of thinking is that you you need to again have a have a game plan as to do you want to do this as a lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong. Mm. Get a replacement income of like, you know, if you earn 3K, mm. what does it take to earn as 3K self-employed creative? Mm. But if you want to have higher income, right. better balance work lesser hours, then you honestly have to think of how to scale. Yes. And then the scaling conversation would involve you setting up systems, maybe perhaps at the certain income level, hire good people to do specialized things, which, you know, not your giftings, mm-hmm. and they can do it much better than you. Mm-hmm. And and with this kind of like, again, outsource economy, uh, I'll, I'll be the first to say that there's a lot of arbitrage. Like I have a team of like a four in the Philippines yeah. and such a good way to experience them to tap onto their talents and yet yes. not burn a huge hole as a quote-unquote business owner in Singapore. Uh, from a business expense Correct. perspective. Correct. Yeah. And mm. also, but then that also comes with it, managing teams. So yeah. there's a lot of you know, entrepreneurs as they scale mm. their businesses to the next level, mm. it really takes a very different sk- set of skill sets. Does, because does. one thing is, you know, having a you know small, friendly, cozy team of yeah, like yeah. five people Correct. versus like a team of like 80 versus yeah. a team of 500. Yeah. These organizations yeah. are so different in nature and, and you know, the kind of skills required mm. are mm. so different. So even when I speak to like entrepreneurs, right? Like, you know, sometimes, you know, they also acknowledge when that the company gets to that level, mm. they really need to add on like that much more expenses. Correct. So so there's like a, a lot of like, for example, if your company is running revenue of up to 100K, mm. you still can 
run it solo or like you know a few support kind of like freelancers and then from 100k to 1 mil you need probably a bit more of a system structure from 1 mil 1 mil to 10 mil mm. it's a different play playbook and play game altogether mm. um, but I think again if you decide to go down that path of like wanting to run something of your own your own brand uh, that is something that you f- you eventually negotiate mm. right? or either way you probably didn't even get validated means like oh yeah in my first year I didn't earn enough mm. then you probably would have a bit of like again you're screwed by the school of hard knocks mm-hmm. you got a bit of reality check Okay, I want to quantify and qualify that uh, there is no glory in, again, like sort of doing your own thing mm. or entrepreneurship for that matter. Yep. And there is, quote unquote, no shame or, or, or anything that's a side step in being gainfully employed in a corporate job. I yes. think my, my, my belief is you need to really have that level of awareness. Like I'm, I have an itchy backside syndrome mm. and I, I, I can't stay in one function, one job and, and do that one thing permanently. And because I'm like that, you know, I don't thrive in a very corporate structure, just do one thing and, and do it well and do it all year round kind of environment. Mm. Whereas, you know, some people are very, very focused and yes. I admire that focus, mm. right? And they, are, they, they can really like double down on a single thing and just do that for five, ten and climb the ladder. Yes. So it's at the end, um, make sure that you, you know which ladder you like to climb and make sure the ladder is leaning on the right wall. Got it. So having clarity on what you want. Correct. And trying to get that yep. as young as possible. Yep. Yep. Get, trying yep. to get as many data points as possible. Correct. So I have this like um, statement. So money does not make your insecurities go away. Because we talk a lot about like insecurities and like psychological impact, you know, especially when related to money, right? So comment on that statement. Wow, very philosophical. <laughs> oh, this one's very stressed. So again, um, I'm, I'm nowhere like financially woke. But you yeah. are um, minimalistic, which I think helps. I, I think so, but uh, I also, I'm a minimalist, uh, but I also make sure that I'm financially prudent or, or more than healthy. So mm. so I think for me, like money doesn't make your insecurities go away. I think that there's a certain grain of truth to that. Like for example, it's also related to another quote I, I heard about money. It's like uh, money doesn't change who you are. Like mm. getting more wealth just amplifies who you are. Mm. So if you are very kiamsiap as, as, as you know when you're earning like you know 1k mm. and when you're 100k you're just going to be more kiamsiap on the 100k level. Mm. Right? Or if you tend to be like very very generous abundant mm-hmm. even at a smaller income bracket you know and a larger income bracket you're giving just amplifies. Mm. And I think again um Money psychology, um, the the relationship we have with money is very very under talk about. Mm, yes, and I think that's really one of the big topics that people need to to really get educated to learn. I mean, I'm also learning a lot through the books. But like for example, like what do we think about money? There's a lot of scripts that we adopt and we inherit. So for example, if your parents grew up and say, "Hey, like Ben, you know, money doesn't grow on tree," mm. and you think you think tend to think that money is really hard-earned and that mm. limits your resourcefulness, you see. Mm. So so again, I'm not too sure whether I'm meandering or going out of track. No, not at all. Yeah, but the, the insecurities part is very, very real. And and I think, again, then what's the flip side is how do we be more secure and comfortable mm. and assured with money is that it's going to be a very, very personalised journey. Mm. You need to really like sit down frequently to ask yourself like at what levels of income, if it's mm-hmm. an income kind of thing, mm-hmm. would you feel comfortable? Mm. And you also need to question your assumptions. Like, for example like this whole 100k by 30 years old, I think it's very inane. Like mm-hmm. again, it's really, do we really need 100k by 30? Mm. Right? Actually, yes. we can hit 100k by 20 even or mm. 100k by 40. We, we move at different stages. But why do we need an arbitrary kind of goal to sort of like benchmark us to like, uh, if I'm behind that, I feel like very backward. Mm. Yeah. So again, that's money, insecurity amplified by artificial social goals. Yeah. Yeah. As if it's not noisy enough. But really, if someone wants to gain a lot more clarity, work with money coach. 
read a book. I think there is a book called Psychology of Money. I was going to talk about yeah, that. Super good book. Yes. Yeah, it gets you thinking about like again how we look at wealth in 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 a larger context and then appreciate wealth and wealth building. And I think in in Singapore, yeah, like you know, we we just look at the again the money, 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 but we don't look at what's behind money. There's so many like uh, hidden, uh, very very underappreciated conversations we should have. Like for example, giving. For example, like buying good experiences. Like I'm huge on experiences, hmm. less on goods. Because I think, you know, experiences are things that you no know, people will never be able to take away from you. You're right. I, and I think like it is really often under-discussed, the psychology of money. And it that spans across, you know, spending, investing, the conversations that we have with our family members mm, who, mm, you know, obviously mm. are, are important. So even from an investing perspective, you know, there will be like a lot of risk-taking behavior. And why do people act in that way? Mm. Or um, from a spending perspective, you know, often there's a case where people say that, you know, I might have challenges, you know, like my paycheck comes in by the end of the month, you know, mm. I just can't seem to save enough. Yeah. But then if you really delve into mm. that, why why are you spending the money the way you, you are and why is it not not clear? to mm, the person mm, mm. I think sometimes you know when we look at ourselves it's hard to get the kind of clarity yes and and that's why I think there's still a market f- for coaches and again not self-promotion yeah like <laughs> no I'm, I'm trying to keep my space alive but mm. I, I, I also work with a lot of coaches as well relationship coach business coach sales coach and I even see a therapist as well and I'm very very open with that because uh, I, I took to one of the things I have listened in another podcast that we go to a gym to find a physical trainer to work on our physical muscles mm-hmm. But we seldom work with anyone on our mental muscles, mm. our mental wellness, our mental resilience as well. Mm. So I think the therapists kind of like, again, in the helping professions, right? therapists, counsellors, coaches, sometimes get a very bad flag, uh, especially with the older gen. Mm. So when I told my parents that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a therapist, they say, Are you Siao okay? Ah, <laughs> like, you know, your brain got issue, you already got a good kid, family going on, jobs going on well, etc. But... You know, there, there are sometimes, you know, you just need a healthy, neutral, as well as objective enough kind of like third party to mm-hmm. just poke where it matters, yes. to challenge you where it, where it means something mm. and to, to throw you certain confronting questions that even you yourself have been hiding. Mm. And I think in those respects, um, the money conversation will be amplified, the career conversation will be amplified, the passion conversation will be amplified. And I think a lot of things when we go into introspection, you go into personal discovery, it gives you a lot more uh, resources to to work with. You see, I think a lot of times we think that we don't have options, but mm. you know, if we look at all the successful people that we admire, right? We we have the same amount of time, same amount of like some of us maybe even smarter, uh, more endowed than them, but why are they like, you know, climbing to the positions that they are? I mm. think a lot goes into the mindset, which is again something lesser talked about, lesser appreciated, and lesser dwarfed to. And sometimes they have actually gone through even more difficult times, exactly. but that's not that does not get glorified in social media. Hmm. Oh, I love that. So for for I mean, I think we, we shared a lot about, you know, the psychological components. Hmm. And also I guess some of the more like practical aspects of how do you how for somebody who's considering quitting their job and starting hmm. their business, hmm. what should hmm. they think about? Hmm. And for listeners who want to find out more about the work you do, hmm. um, where can they find you? Sure. Uh, being a 
quote-unquote social media slash branding kind of person. Mm. Uh, I have to be omnipresent on most platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, but in most platforms, the two platforms that I spend the most time on are Instagram as well as LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's Benjamin spelled with uh, low, L-O-H. And mm-hmm. you know, if you search me with a blue tick on Instagram. Verified. Or, yes, verified. Um, but anyway, another conversation <laughs> for another day as well as LinkedIn. Mm. Um, most of the time, you can read or see or watch my ramblings down there. Mm. Yeah. Love it. And we'll, we'll link it in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcast at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at misfitfi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on Me Listen or Apple Podcasts or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from MediaCorp and recorded at Scape Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time. <laughs>